And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. So, episode two, Star Trek stories. Mm. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. If you're still with us, thank you. <laughs> the solitary cheek. <laughs> oh, the tear going down the cheek. <laughs> Um, oh my god, yeah, we've made it to episode two. Welcome back. Uh, we're Today, we're going to be sitting in the opposite chairs. Jaron is going to be sitting in the captain's chair today. <gasps> we're going to be interviewing him a little bit. Get his take on Star Trek. Make it so. Yeah. In a lot of ways, in in our circle, Jaron is like... Papa Gijo. He's like the Grandmaster Star Trek aficionado. He is... Did you just say I'm the Santa Claus yeah, of Star Trek pretty much. fandom? Yeah. <laughs> Papa Gijo. Papa Gijo. You come down <laughs> into the realm of man and you bless us with gifts of Star Trek. <laughs> and then you go back into your, yes. your existence <laughs> where I assume you just continue watching more Star Trek <laughs> in the North Pole. <laughs> how, do, how does the good St. Jaren come into our house if we don't have a chimney? Well, you see, little Timmy, St. Jaren doesn't need chimneys. He has transporter technology and can That's beam it. right into your bedroom. What yeah. happens is you leave out a fifth of black velvet. There you go. <laughs> and he comes in and gives you box sets of all the best DVDs yeah. and all the best seasons of Star Trek under the tree. I'll give you a box set of TOS season three if you give me the, what's left in that bottle of black velvet. Yeah. Yeah. But like, <laughs> you just take it to the next level. You love Star Trek and you love sharing it with people so much. Mm. What What is it about Star Trek that you love sharing with people? Um, it brings so much joy to me. Because mm. it's it, it still is, it occupies such a weird niche spot in like the pop culture zeitgeist yeah you know what i mean and because i feel like there's so many stories of like i mean there's lots of this like you know disney happily ever 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 after stuff Mm. um but there's a lot of just like you know life is tough and you know and humans are you know awful to each other and we do the best we can and but star trek has this whole interesting message of like coming together and it's all about like recognizing and shining a light on like the best parts of ourselves, while also but in that light, looking at our flaws and our, you know, mm-hmm. why we aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's so valuable. Like it's such a good, healthy way to look at some of this stuff without getting lost in just like, and ergo humans are the worst. Yeah. Um, and so to kind of like. I mean, this is funny, going with, like, the St. Nicholas thing. (laughs) It almost just feels like sharing this story. It's like sharing the good message of Christ. A bit. You know, but it's like, but it's it's the sharing the good message of Spock. And yes, we all can get along. Yeah. (laughs) And we can discover the unknown together. And there's nothing to fear, just things temporarily hidden. Things temporarily misunderstood. Um, Yeah, and, and... and also, it's, it's, it's such silly fun, like I mentioned last episode. It's silly fun, and it I th- it's fun just to see it put smiles on people's faces. Even if it's not being especially poignant, mm-hmm. you can still just have a laugh and have fun with it. Just like, Because it's just awesome to see these people who love each other exploring space, and they're in the society that just, yeah, we've got past most of our problems, at least our current problems, and we're mostly just concerned about bettering humanity and exploring 
this space and saying hello to who we find out there. I think that's an awesome message. I like that. I agree. It does bring a lot of joy uh, to a lot of people, myself included. Mm. That's fun. Uh, what do you love the very mostest about Star Trek? If you could pick a singular thing. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. I feel like there's so many disparate elements to love. Yeah. It's a it's a big canvas. Mm. Um, I mean, it, this is I feel like this, this is maybe a cheat, but because it's kind of a broad answer. Mm. But it's it's the storytelling. Yeah. I think there are there it's such a big franchise that there are different things you can latch onto and I definitely to some degree latch onto all of them. Some people really latch on to the characters, Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, Mr. Data, Captain Picard, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and some people latch on to, like, the world um, and just all the the details of the Federation and the technology and how all this works. Um, but for me, and, like, I love, all, of course, all those things, but for me, it's those individual Stories. I think if if you were to like somewhere to say like if you were to close your eyes and think of Star Trek, like what comes to your mind first? And I'm like, it would probably be like the Enterprise like flashing across the screen, and then the actual gold letters Star Trek show up, mm-hmm. and then a few seconds later, the episode titles over like the Enterprise flying over the planet, and it's like called something like the squire of gothos or you know and it's like what does that mean and what are they going to run into and there's there was a especially in the 60s show that was like what i first got introduced to and um there was this kind of poetic mystery to it all Mm. and like what each story is what what they were all going to be and what they were all going to represent and then because i also remember watching next generation when it was on as a kid and that was kind of a doing the same kind of a thing, but in a more, at the time, modern way. And then I had this interesting compare and contrast between there was this one that my parents watched, and then there's this one that's on right now that's like seemingly for me as a kid. And they're both kind of doing the same kind of stories where like a crew on a spaceship goes to a planet and makes contact with people and, um, and shenanigans ensue, but then it's like, but what happens here? Like, what's the thing? What's the thing to learn? What's the thing to think about in this episode? I think that's what always stuck strongest to me, and that's why I still like it to this day. It just has that quality to it. Yeah, it does. It has a very, uh, I don't know the adjective for it. It has an air of mystery. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Every episode, if you're coming in for the first time, like even if. You know, there's some episodes that still capture that. Even if you go back and watch it again after some time, mm-hmm. you kind of forget some of the things that happen. It's like, oh, yeah. Gives you that same little glimpse of that feeling. There are some I've watched countless times. Mm-hmm. And they still it hit me just as hard. Maybe not as hard as the first time. But there are some that still will get me. Or some that, like, years later that I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, but now I'm watching it. And suddenly, years later... As an adult, I'm like, you know what? This is a good episode. Mm. I I never appreciated this one as a kid, because I think there are some that work better for kids, mm-hmm. uh, and then there are some that work better for adults. Yeah. And so, if you discover it as a kid, it's almost like it's like the gift that keeps on giving because some things you just don't have a con- adult context for yet, and then when you see some of these stories play out years later, you're like, whoa! Now I kind of really get what they were talking about. Yeah. That is a sign of good storytelling too. Is mm-hmm. is giving something for everybody to enjoy, understanding different age groups and and what they're going to be able to 
conceptualize, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The stakes they're gonna be able to recognize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I, I think I first noticed that in a lot of like Pixar movies and kids cartoons, like, mm-hmm. oh, this isn't just for me. This is, like my dad is crying too, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 That is, that is good writing. Yeah, they were really good, I think in, um, I mean, especially when I was a kid, um, both the original show and Next Generation were really good at. I feel like I could sit down and watch it with my mom or my dad, and I often did, especially mm-hmm. my dad. And I feel like it was one of those things that we could both watch because, like, once you started getting away from that, like, there, he would like watching his shows. I would like watching my kids' cartoons, you know. Mm-hmm. But something about watching Star Trek, where we could both watch it at the same time and be like, and more or less like enjoy it equally Mm -hmm. even if we like there might be different reasons why we like certain things or and then or whatever and then just then when you once you grow up and you're like you can kind of see it like oh that's how my that's maybe how my parents would have saw it when they were watching it yeah now that's kind of like oh okay i got it um Mm -hmm. yeah i love that quality to it so it's i feel like there's always something to and especially now that there's so much there's always something to rediscover yeah totally one could argue that that is what art is defined as, is that ability to to cross all boundaries and and still connect, still find their audience through everybody. Oh, well, speaking of classic Star Trek, should we get into the pilot? The yeah. pilot, what we're going to be watching? I oh. think so. Um, Talk about it. Yeah. So we're going to be. So last week we watched the original 1964 pilot, mm. um, and it was not picked up. Now we're going to be watching the the second pilot, the 1965 one, the one they did a year later when they gave him like a second chance. We we like the concept. We we love what you're doing, but you sold us a space western. What you gave us was not a space western. Make sure you make it a little bit of space western, please. Right. And recast it, please. Right. Yeah, they had some notes. We'll say that. Yeah. But he got another chance, Gene Roddenberry and and this episode is what he showed the producers that eventually sold the show. Yeah. Which I learned watching this episode. Fun or, little bit of trivia. Where No Man Has Gone Before. Uh, appropriate enough title mm-hmm. for a Star Trek pilot. Um, on that same note, we should probably mention that. So last week we mentioned that we're going to be watching through this big old 100 episode ep- episode list. Palooza. The Palooza. Um and what we're going to be starting with is a look at, like a 13-episode look at classic Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, everything with this original crew. Um, it's mostly going to be the 60s TV show, but we're also going to have a little cartoon and movie treat in there as well. Yeah. Can't forget about those. Nope. They're part of it, too. Yep. Um, so, yeah, a little 13-episode um classic star trek and you know and here we are kicking off with basically like the pilot that gets the show sold um i can't think of a better way to start it i can't wait you know looking back a couple weeks ago i remember loving this this episode quite a bit yeah yeah but i was a little drunk so it's it's a bit hazy spoiler alert we may have been drinking some beers while we've been recording some of these how dare they no synth ale We've been drinking synth ale. Synth ale, yes. We can easily brush off the effects of <laughs> alcohol intoxication because it's not real. It's synthetic. There we go. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, if you haven't um, already, 
We're going to invite you to queue up where no man has gone before. Um, you can find Star Trek, the original series on Paramount Plus. I believe it's like listed as season one, episode three. Yeah. It's up in the middle somewhere. Um, it's not the first one they. It's not the first one they aired, and I think they're all in air date order. So, yeah, it's like episode three. It's all a little bit cattywampus this first season of Star Trek. Yes, it sure is. Yeah. Um, so if you want to go queue it up, um, what you're going to be hearing is very similar to last week. Um, like we said last week, a few weeks ago, we just. Started watching Star Trek, we got a mic and started recording, and it's kind of a similar thing for this episode. We just grabbed a mic and watched another episode, and what you're going to be hearing is us um, reacting to it um, a few weeks ago, just with a little mic and a prayer. Yep, and now we come back to kind of to patch over some stuff. We had some sound issues, things like that, you know, technical difficulties. But now we feel like we have a format, we have a structure. Yeah. We have a direction, and so we wanted to repair and recycle before we move forward. Yep. Uh, the fun thing about talking about these pilots um, is that we're also very much like these pilots figuring out the show. Yeah. Um, our vision for our podcast. Yeah. Um, so we hope you enjoy the episode, and we hope you stick around for our thoughts and feelings about it. And I, I guess we'll see you then, where no man has gone before. Strand Mitchell there, I won't do it. The station is fully automated. There's not a soul on the whole planet. Even the ore ships call only once every 20 years. Then you have one other choice. Kill Mitchell while you still can. Get out of here. It is your only other choice. Assuming you make it while you still have time. Will you try for one moment to feel? At least act like you've got a heart. We're talking about Gary. The captain of the Valiant probably felt the same way. And he waited too long to make his decision. I think we both guessed that. just got done watching when no man has gone before as he says in the intro and that changes right to no one once next generation comes on the air it becomes no one when no one has gone before but this one it's definitely when no man when they do the prequel enterprise it does go back to where no man interesting has gone before so like canonically they're saying that for hundreds of years before they say no one. And then there's probably like some hashtag movement and then they change it to no one. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, yeah. Ha- hashtag no one. Um, Aaron, Jerry. where no one has gone before. What did you think? Uh, it's interesting. I thought it was uh, a bit less engaging than, than the Pike episode, if I'm being honest. It's a bit more what the producers were asking for, certainly. And I love seeing Shatner on the screen. I just have such a bromance crush on that man I can't help but like just smile every time he does anything but it's a struggle for me this this first episode it's really interesting to compare these two they have interesting strengths and flaws 
I definitely see what you're saying by not being quite as engaging. This episode is really good at setting higher stakes. And it does ratchet up the tension as it goes. But the cage is kind of a more stimulating... I think you're just more engaged by the story and the ideas that they're throwing at you. And this plays a little more like there's a problem to be solved. They do set up some things better in this episode right off the bat. Like Kirk and Spock's relationship that's got a good hook before they go to the, the intro. So you have a reason to come back to the show. The craft... It feels more fine-tuned. It does, but you know, and also in another way, this feels more like a an hour of television than I think the cage does. The cage almost feels like a mini movie. This feels like an episode of television. There's something a little more functional about this one. Yeah, you kind of can see more possibilities going forward for this show. So, to the question of how do these compare as pilots? If we're just looking at that, this setting up a TV show, then I think this, where no one has gone before, this is the bigger success in terms of just setting up the show. I think the characters come across a little more clearly and well-defined, particularly Kirk and Spock. Yeah. So now we have Captain Kirk instead of Captain Pike. More relatable. More relatable. It sets up some dynamics, most notably with... Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. In that sense, it's more successful. I might give the edge to the cage in terms of being maybe the better story, though. The better singular episode. Mm -hmm. If anything, they kind of set up Pike's relationship with the Doctor more than they do Pike's relationship Mm. with Spock. They were were shooting more for that dynamic. Yeah, this one has more of a feel of like the two leads. And maybe that's like probably, probably the best place to start with this episode. It is a little more character-driven than the last one. I think the last one is definitely more an ideas episode. So in this episode, we see them. They're on a, a mission to exit the galaxy. They try passing through it. There's an accident. Kirk's best friend, Commander Gary Mitchell, basically turns into a god creature. And they have to destroy him. Eventually. Eventually. On the surface, it would seem like this is like a Kirk versus Mitchell story. And maybe on a superficial level it is, but I feel like really where the narrative thematic conflict comes from in this episode is this is secretly a Kirk versus Spock episode. So much of the episode is like Spock being the cold-hearted logic one saying we should do this and Kirk saying, you monster. This is my best friend. This is my best friend. Don't you have any humanity? You're a friend. He's my best friend. I think that's what the real conflict of the episode is. And there isn't anything like that in the cage. You see maybe like potential for that between Pike and number one, Pike and the Doctor, but like Spock is almost a much more of a minor character, not even almost. He's an officer, but he doesn't have nearly as many lines as he does in this pilot, in this uh, iteration of the show. Much more fleshed out as a character. Much more fleshed out. He's kind of just in the pack in the cage. Uh, though I will say, strangely enough, his look is better in the first one. He looks a little goofy in this one. I would say like a little sick, maybe like kind of green in some scenes. Yeah. His uniform too doesn't look as convincing. I was going to make a point about the uniforms. They're still working that out. The blue uniforms on some officers that become the science uniforms later. And then the red uniforms are, are they completely gone in this episode? I don't think we see any. There were no red uniforms in the cage. It's basically a yellow green. There is just blue and then you'll see like Scotty and kind of, it's more of a tan, but it looks yeah. very similar 
to the gold. It's hard, it, if you're not paying attention, it would be easy to think they're the same color. Both this and the cage don't really make it clear why there are different colored uniforms. Yeah. It almost just feels like a willy-nilly, some have this, some have this, <laughs> some have this, just because. You know how, how our military does it. You yeah. Know, just because. Just because. <laughs> I think the look looks a little more polished in the cage than it does here. It does feel a little more fleshed out here, but maybe not as, I think as a whole, the cage is more aesthetically interesting than this one is. Yeah, some bigger moments. The planet is is beautiful in the cage that they go to. They use the same planetary set, but something about how they shoot it in the cage looks better. Yeah, cinematography, the editing editing in this episode is, is very different. The best thing this does is definitely the Kirk and Spock stuff. The characters just in general get to shine a little bit more because the other two characters that this really focuses on is Gary Mitchell, and then Dr. Daner, the psychologist on this ship, takes an interest into studying Gary Mitchell once he gets affected by this power. Basically turns into like a Joker-Harley Quinn relationship. Oh, kind of. It's weird. Kind of. Um, those are kind of the two main relationships that are playing off each other. Kirk and Spock, and then Mitchell and Daner. But then like Kirk and Mitchell have a lot of stuff. Kirk and Daner have stuff. And then Spock and Daner have a little bit. There is a larger cast here, but everyone else is much more just glorified background roles. Especially like we see Mr. Scott, the engineer, for the first time. We see Mr. Sulu, who I think in this is the astrophysicist. But they have maybe, what, a couple, two or three lines between them? Yeah. Yeah, and then we have like Lieutenant Kelso. He feels kind of like almost what Spock was in the first episode. The point man helping the captain get things done. He's a mix of old Spock and that other lieutenant that was on the bridge in, in Pike's pilot. Mm. Yeah. Super energetic guy. Like, we gotta do this. I think Lieutenant Tyler. They've got yeah. the captain. Yes. Yeah. We also have the doctor. This is Dr. Piper. I think last episode I, I said that was Dr. P Piper. That was actually Dr. Boyce. And this is Dr. Piper. But I think that just goes to show you how interchangeable these two doctor characters are. I do think the Doctor character is more interesting in the first one. Yeah. The Doctor is literally just, he is no more functional than just being the old Doctor, and that's it. He feels like almost like a family clinician. Almost, or like an old war buddy or something. Yeah. Which was what I got from that relationship. Mm. You and I have been doing this a long time. Mm. Mm -hmm. He does have the most epic comb over in TV history. <laughs> it's yep. amazing. It's like they very exclusively shoot the left side of his face because when you turn over to the right, it's like there's nothing going on. Yeah. Um, these two episodes, there are some interesting similarities and differences. Both episodes have some kind of beings with power. God complex. Maybe not completely complex. More God, Definitely God complex in this episode. Maybe more so than in the last episode. But nonetheless, both episodes deal with beings with almost insurmountable power. Uh, and the first one, it's more alien, though. The Telosians, who have like these illusion mind telepathic powers that are so powerful, they might as well be real. But it's all like illusion. Whereas this is more like, they describe it, and this is something we should definitely talk about, ESP. Telekinesis, I feel like, is the closest thing as to what this is. More physical, manipulating things with your brain power. Yeah, and the two crew members that are most affected have the highest levels of ESP <laughs> ratings, which every crew member, as you see Spock going through the data, like is tested for. Like, <laughs> all right, 
Crewmen, we're going to test you now for your ESP. Yeah, they're for their Starfleet physical. They get tested <laughs> for ESP power. They almost treat it like in the future that some people just have powers. This is just the thing. Yeah. And ESP has been proven to be an actual scientific thing in the future. Yeah. So whatever they run into out in the edge of the galaxy uh, hits these crew members. And whatever it is, it's like a some paranormal being, some sickness, something. It's never clear nope. in the episode what happens to these people. Just some people get shocked by energy as they go through this. And then they gain... God powers. Yeah, over time. Like, being able to read quickly, being able to retain all kinds of knowledge that they could before, being able to move things with their mind, being able to see things in other people's minds, like all of it. The whole kit and caboodle. Whatever field they hit, it's not a big factor into the episode, what exactly it is they hit. It's more of the consequences of what happens after. It doesn't seem important to them to find out what what even that energy field is. At all. Which kind of is weird if you think about it. You yeah. think that would be the first thing you try to like launch center probes, try to study what this thing was that affected your people. Yeah, like, they just book it out of there as fast no. as they can and don't look back. That's so funny because <laughs> yeah, you think about like Next Generation or, or Voyager and how they would handle that episode. They mm. would be going right back and taking all kinds of scans and reading. What happened to our crew members? Yeah, long scenes of Mr. Data or someone just kind of... The results of our sensor probe have indicated that, you know, something like something like that. Not here. They just leave. Um, what is interesting about this, though, is it's not alien. It's human. It's much more human, the dilemma and conflict in this, rather than in the cage, which is more of like these two alien cultures encountering each other and some of the clash that comes between that. This is much more human. There are no aliens except for Spock in this that, that we see. Like, they're still a version of themselves, but they're projecting all this, like, Mm -hmm. extra stuff on top of it that's very vaguely something alien, something... Something beyond. Paranormal. Yeah. Yeah, that's what this feels like. Some sort of paranormal thing. That's kind of interesting, though, like, how this episode does kind of frame it up. Them and their attempts to, like, breach some barrier leads to this literal where no man has gone before. We're pushing the limits of our knowledge and what we've explored and what we know, but the unintended consequences is that it accelerates these two people into these super human beings. That's something the original series does really well. Is like they take these cool concepts for for deep space missions, like like going to the edge of the galaxy like this. But then the consequences are often just so goofy. <laughs> so goofy. So goofy. This whole thing is played very seriously, though. Because it's just, like, you know, what they have to work with at the time. They have to be very creative. Oh, yeah. This does give it a more spooky vibe than the cage. A little ominous. Yeah, the way he's he's sitting there, it's almost like a trip. He's he's talking to this doctor like, what's happening? He's not afraid, really, at all. Yeah, something's happening to me. Wow. Very confused still. Overwhelmed. Completely loses himself to it, though. Both of them, in the end. Speaking of which, I think the two actors who do these two roles, Gary Lockwood uh, as Gary Mitchell, most famous probably from 2001 A Space Odyssey. He's one of the two astronauts um, on the Discovery. It's always nice to play a character that has your name. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then Sally Kellerman plays Dr. Daner, who is probably most famous for playing Hot Lips Houlihan in the MASH movie. And that's kind of a fun little to see. Actors kind of play against each other. They both do a really good job, I think, of embodying kind of this. They're both undergoing a massive existential crisis because of just suddenly being inflicted with all this power. You're kind of watching them become more alien, mm-hmm. but they're growing closer because, wow, something is happening to both of us. You go on more of a complete journey with Gary Mitchell 
Um, he's probably the best part. He's really spooky. He starts looking down through his nose at people, mm -hmm. but also a bit of trivia. That's because it was so hard. The contacts, he's got these silvery glowing eyes, which look awesome. They were super uncomfortable to wear. Like, yeah. painful. This actually left him, I think, with a, like, they scratched up his corneas. Holy. I think his vision was affected for the rest of his life because of this episode. Crazy. Um, but the unintended side effect is that it looks like he's looking down at his nose at people. Yeah. Like, there's this kind of snobbish character to him. He's so much better than everyone because he's so powerful now. Right, he's in the clouds now. But really, it's because he can't even open his eyes because those contacts hurt so damn much. There's several scenes where they're close up on his face and his eyelids are just swollen red. Yeah, poor guy. It looks great, though. Looks great. Way to sacrifice. You must sacrifice yourself for your art. Good hustle. Um, the fun thing also is that you do see his sideburns growing gray throughout the episode. Implying that it's aging the human form. Aging him, like burning him out yeah. or something. You almost wonder, like, would he just have actually died eventually if Probably. Kirk hadn't stopped him just because it's just destroying this bot? Like, it can't take it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for how interesting and how engaging and creepy some of this stuff is, I think you are right when you say, like, there is something a little less engaging about this one. I don't know if it's pacing problems. It could be. Maybe they're playing it a little more safe in certain areas. Yeah, I think so. I think the cage takes more creative chances. The action does come out in the third act, certainly. It, it picks up. Yes. There are lots of just quiet, talking scenes. They got a good hook, but then there's like a, an extended sequence of like Spock listening to like the logs of this older ship that had tried to pass through. And it kind of goes on for a bit. There are great like tension racket up moments in this, but not always. I don't think they all work. Here's that meeting where we really get to hear... Dana's moment where she flips out she raises her voice and she's like a better human for everybody isn't that a good thing and the entire room is just like alright moving on that is weird <laughs> all the men kind of there we go well uh, moving on with the data the, the stuff between Kirk and Spock at the end of that briefing scene is definitely the most interesting stuff they are not friends in this you can tell they respect each other very much, but yeah, yeah, they, they are not friends. They need to cooperate, but they're not on that level yet. Yeah, that's the most interesting part of this whole episode is Kirk and Spock and their conflict with each other. And, and it comes to like an emotional head here. Yeah. It does. You don't see this a lot. There are moments where they kind of go at it, but like not like this. They don't have that undercurrent of friendship. Kirk is like, yeah, you unfeeling monster, essentially. And then Spock just, well, I only feel logic. Very cold and very hot in this episode. Cold and hot is kind of how they come across. Fire and ice. All the scenes with them are probably the best moments in the show. And I think it's no coincidence that the show figures out that the show is these two. Mm -hmm. And that's why this probably works as the pilot better. Because it sets up these two characters and the relationship and conflict they're going to have going forward. And it's funny to see that evolution of, of the characters that test well and the characters that stick around. And you eventually just see, like, everybody that you know and love on the bridge at all times in the later seasons. Like, Scotty's on the bridge for no reason at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's like, shouldn't you be in engineering? But he's there because because TV. Yeah, it'll be, as other f episodes go forward, we, do, we will start to see more of a fleshed-out bridge crew or just command crew. In the beginning here, they... There doesn't seem to be a huge thought into making this an ensemble drama. Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely much more of, we have leads. We have lead characters, and then characters who back them up. That's definitely how this reads. And Kirk and Spock, and then whatever kind of guest characters we want to have, and then they'll be like, 
the day players backing them up yeah. for just little bits of exposition. Any other little filler lines we need, we'll have some of these other characters there to kind of... Rather than f- a whole crew of fully fleshed out characters. Which works. It becomes a vehicle for like all kinds of new actors and directors to make their mark. So it's nice to see this cycle of all these different people coming in and playing their roles. Yep. Good segue into um, William Shatner coming in as Captain Kirk versus who we saw last episode, Jeffrey Hunter, as Captain Pike. Pike is fine. Jeffrey Hunter as Pike, I think, is fine. Serviceable. You could see him growing into it. I think right off the bat here, even though like you could still see Shatner trying to wrap his head around the part, right off the bat, I think Kirk comes across much stronger. More intention behind the eyes, more complexity. I think Kirk or Shatner's basically just kind of a better actor at the end of the day. I mean, he is given much more to work with. It's more character focused. You know, he's got to play against this, his best, this horrible thing has happened to his best friend and he's concerned for him, but he also sees the threat he represents to the ship. And then he's got his first officer saying, kill this guy, you know, very much in conflict. What do I do? This speaks to the writing of the captain in this episode stronger than Pike. Pike is a little more of a passive protagonist in the cage. I think we see Kirk here in a few scenes he has to be the person who makes a choice about something. He is definitely the command figure. Like, he doesn't get kidnapped like Pike does. Pike is kind of helpless for a lot of the cage. Here, though, Kirk is in command the whole time. The briefing scene, he has to make a choice. We're going to strand Mitchell. We talked about this a little bit, too, before we started the episode. He relishes the duty much more than anything else. Like, he's so mm. laser-focused on that from the beginning of the episode when they're playing chess. And he's focused on the screen. What's happened? It should have, it should have come up by now. Uh, Kirk is is much more the man for the job, I think, than Pike was. Pike was struggling with command. He was kind of more of an archetypal leading man, an archetypal basic straight male, I guess. Very basic, Pike. Pike is having a crisis of faith for of himself. There's a whole scene about it. And uh-huh. this, there is no scene about it. Kirk is just doing his thing, but there is this, still this big crisis he's going through but it's much more we see, we're seeing it through the actions kirk is just placed in this situation and rather than really like pontificating too much on it it's just him having to like deal with the problem and make choices about what to do it's the classic show don't tell and i think we see that more with kirk than pike pike's a little more tell they're telling us he's having an existential crisis kirk we see having an existential crisis yeah. He's got more to work with, and he plays it really well. It's a better take on command, too, like having to make the tough calls, figuring out which one's the right call. There are, because even for how strong he is, he's also playing vulnerability in scenes. You see him genuinely grappling with, what the hell do I do here? And there are parts where it almost feels like where he's going to Spock saying, please, like, can't you see what I'm dealing with here? Like, this is my best friend. How can you say that we just have to kill this guy? Even though you see that he secretly might maybe know Spock is right. There are moments where it's almost like, throw me a bone here. Look what I'm going through. But he never lets that command slip. That veneer of, I'm the guy in charge. But you see the vulnerable part of him trying to get through to Spock. Help me here. He never says the words, I don't want to make this choice. You see all of that. And he plays that really well. It's really easy to, I think because of pop culture osmosis family guy the simpsons how kind of kirk it even chris pine in the future movies there's this more reckless out of control over the top 
Kurt. And in here, there maybe there are moments, but William Shatner as Kurt oftentimes is very serious and business. He's not reckless off the cuff. Certainly, certainly not in this episode. Yeah, there. I mean, there are episodes where he really has to sell what's put in front he of him. He hams it up. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Pretending to be a horse in particular comes to mind. Oh, boy. <laughs> the caricature of William Shatner is there for a reason. But it's not here. And I think to say that it's through the entire show would be inaccurate. Yeah. No, uh, he has phenomenal moments in this show. William Shatner's performance is probably the strongest thing about this. Even though maybe it's a bit weaker. Mm. Something about this says, but I want to keep seeing what happens with this guy. He's unique as a as a lead character too. You don't often see his type in shows. I don't think we. I, I don't think I've ever really seen a Shatner since Shatner. There's there's nobody like him. He, there, he is kind of a Buck Rogers Flash Gordon type in that like you can paint this image in your, in your head of like he's got the swooped hair with the ray gun in his hand and he is just the person of action who is gonna make the right calls and they're almost always gonna be the right call and this is a person of conviction. But there is a secret vulnerability he does. Like, he sneaks in a kind of vulnerability to it. It's got to be the Canadian. It's the Canadian plain and American is how you capture <laughs> uh, boldness with vulnerability underneath. He is fun to watch. And I think even you can tell he's still figuring it out. He, he comes across pretty strong in this first episode. Probably he is the strongest thing, followed very quickly between the dynamic between him and Spock. Who's uh, also a very strong character. He is different. Than he is in the cage. He's much colder. I he's very cold in this. How ready to go he is. He's like, as soon as you're ready to take my suggestion to kill this guy, I will shoot him. Like, that's happening. He's like, he's got his phaser rifle. <laughs> he's got his phaser pistol in his holster. Yeah, yeah, he's double armed. Kirk's got nothing. Spock is double. He's got the side arm and the phaser rifle, which is actually the only time we see the phaser rifle in the entire show. It's so cool. I want one. We should throw this, throw this in here because we both made kind of like a appreciation kind of moan. When we see the map painting of the lithium cracking station. Yeah, shout out to all the set designers and the crew in this original series. They're probably all dead now, but they did a bang up job. So much imagination and craft on display. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask, the cage has that glorious map painting of the fortress on Rigel 7 with like the other planet in the back. What's the better glorious map painting here? They're both classic. I don't know. I feel like it looks a bit more fantastical in the cage. They're great images to speak to both those episodes. The cage is more fanciful and stylized, has more of like a creative vision behind it. And the lithium cracking station is a good representation of the more functional quality of this. This is a big old ore facility that has been here for a century at least. Uh, which is kind of weird if you think about it. It's like they're the first people to get to the edge of the galaxy but close by is a mining facility that's been there for years. It's like, now, only now are they getting to the edge of the galaxy? <laughs> they got to that point and just, you know what, maybe in another hundred years we'll probe a little further. <laughs> we are very clearly not ready for this. Um, speaking to the selling this as a Western, there is a much clearer line between bad guy, good guy dynamic in this. The Talosians in the cage are much more sympathetic. You see where they're coming from. They're desperate. Yeah, and they're pitiful. Gary Mitchell here, though, while you feel for what's happened to him, is just becomes a straight-up villain. He's speaking about taking over the universe because he's going to get so powerful. <laughs> uh, we'll start with this planet, this barren wasteland, turn it into a paradise, 
and then he's gonna take over the universe. And this is where Kirk really switches on. He takes Spock's phaser rifle. He decides, I'm gonna handle this right now. He feels like Marshall Dillon mm -hmm. going after the bad guy in the hills, even though it's this fantastic version of that. And then they end up having a big fisticuffs brawl. But first he has to psychologically win, as Kirk always does. So he, he talks the psychiatrist into uh, taking his side, at least for a minute. He's like, don't you see what you become? Mm. Don't you see what this is? Yeah, we, we should probably yeah, speak to that. This is the first time we see the big speech at the end. Yeah. It comes up time and time again. Kirk beats whatever bad guy is out there in space with his mind powers, <laughs> with his superior intellect. You see this a lot in Star Trek The Next Generation, too, with Captain Picard. Oh, his diplomatic solutions. Yeah, yeah, speaking to the absolute moral goodness of the right thing to do. We have these phasers. We are not going to use them. It's really how he wins is the grand impassioned speech he makes to Dr. Daner about humanity. And they do kind of, in the end, speak to, I guess, what the episode is trying to get at. Maybe we can talk about how successful it is. It's the classic absolute power corrupts absolutely thing. And then maybe, like, in our efforts to probe beyond, we can go too far. Yeah. That's almost literally what happens here. We, we went too far. And look what happened. Which I don't know if this is necessarily true. I can't remember who said this, but it's not that power always corrupts, absolutely. Power reveals rather than just corrupts. This definitely takes the corruption, the more simplified ultimate power is bad. But you get the sense that this power was always kind of corrupt before it, it got into these people. There, yeah, maybe there, maybe there is a kind of taint yeah, on it, you know, right. for lack of a better term, yeah. Um, it does also try to make some kind of statement about it's probably for the best that humans aren't this. And maybe what makes us strong is the fact that we are imperfect. There maybe is a an attempt to speak to compassion. Yeah, because she says, like, what do you know about gods? You know, like, how could you possibly understand what's happening to us right now? He goes, let's talk, let's talk humans then. Let's talk humans <laughs> and our frailties. <laughs> And then he has that moment where he screams to the heavens, above all else, a god needs compassion. Mitchell! Mitchell! <laughs> <laughs> um, so over the top. Um, you know, that is, maybe that makes an interesting point that it's like, maybe our strength is that we have frailties and that forces us to have compassion for each other. There is a moment at the end with Kirk and Spock both the beginning and the end, it all comes full circle with these two, and I, which is why I think the episode is really about these two characters. Mm -hmm. There is a moment of compassion between both of them, when up till now, there hasn't been. They've very been much, even in the chess scene at the beginning, they're at odds. Kirk's giving him shit for like, you don't understand feelings? Are you sure you don't have feelings? Because he catches Spock in a moment of human irritation. Spock is like, I don't even know what irritation is. And Kirk's like, yeah, right. And then Kirk mates him in one. And just gives him crap about it. Yeah. And then Spock throws a line back at him, too. And then the rest of the episode, they're kind of in conflict. And then at the end, there is a moment of compassion. This is the first time we see compassion between them. And Kirk is making a log entry at the end. Spoiler alert. Kirk defeats Gary Mitchell and Dr. Daner. He wins. He wins. Amazingly. And um, continues to win. We should start a tally. How many times does Kirk either speak or beat a god to death. <laughs> I'm going to go on record here now and say it's more than 10 times. We'll see. And then maybe we'll keep a future tally then just in general for the franchise. How often do they speak or beat a 
supercomputer, super being, or god character to death. <laughs> By just talking to it. By just talking or, when, it, when in doubt, literally beating them with fists. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the human thing to do. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, Kirk at the end is making a log entry. These two people gave their lives in the line of duty turns off the log recording and then tells Spock, you know, I want their service records to end that way. They didn't ask for what happened to them. Mm-hmm. But then Spock has a moment and says, I felt for him too. And Kirk sees that. And then maybe you see maybe this face of maybe I haven't been giving Spock enough credit here. And then he says, I think there might be some hope for you after all. But then there's a real moment of connection between them. Yeah, he's got an endearing look when he's looking at Mr. Spock. Like, okay. All right. Maybe I've misjudged you. Maybe there's more to you than I've thought there is. Which is a much better button on the end of the episode than the other pilot. Yeah. Talking about the Adam and Eve stuff, which is cringeworthy. Oh, boy, it's bad. Um, this is more. This, this is why this works as a pilot. This sets up, okay, what's going to happen with these two characters now going forward? This still is very much just its own standalone single story. But then it sets up, oh, but these characters are going to have a relationship and dynamic. And maybe that's why you're going to keep tuning in each week to see what happens specifically to these two and their relationship. And that's what made us tune in for the next, what, 80 years? Yeah, and I think maybe we'll get to that in future episodes. But I think what ends up making the show work is not about the grand science fiction adventure. I think secretly what they realize what the show is actually about is about friendship. <laughs> about friendship and yeah. And- Humanity. Humanity. Specifically, these two people caring for each other. Um, we will eventually get Dr. McCoy coming into the fray, and then there's much more of a three-way going on, this three-way yeah. bromance. Um, and then, you know, to the lar- then eventually we'll have a more solidified crew, even though they still kind of act as background characters, but we will see, like, it's how all these characters care for each other. That's what makes the show what it is and why people keep coming back. Yeah, that original cast bond. It, yeah. It, it is something special. Yeah. It's strong. Um, so I think the conclusion here is I do think you're right. I think The Cage is a better, more interesting standalone story and episode. This is the better pilot. It makes sense why this sells the show. Oh, yeah. 100%. No question. If someone wanted to make this their first episode of Star Trek, I could feel myself saying, sure. Why not? Yeah. You know? jump on it maybe not so much the cage even though that's what we started with this makes much better sense as a starting point if you're going to watch at least the old show a compelling case for the series yeah and all the series any other points again the music on point Alexander Courage doing the music for both these episodes and I think does a does a great job speaking to both the both episodes what they need but I think that's about it um Pretty solid stuff. What's what's going on next week? What do we got? I think we're going to do the episode... So now that the show has been sold, they eventually put it up on the air. In 1966, a year later, it finally comes out. They don't do this. <laughs> uh, they do episode six as the first episode, The Man Trap. Make it make sense. It's just how they format stuff. How they, how they ended up putting stuff on the air in the order that they did. Yeah. So, so goofy. It was kind of that era, though. It was like the Wild West of... TV still figuring out content what worked what didn't absolutely yeah um, what a time so we're gonna be doing um, the man trap next which 
this will probably be good for talking about maybe some of the genre bending that Star Trek does because they start the ball rolling for the audiences with a B-monster movie. Very different kind of a thing next week. We're also going to be having a, uh, a guest host coming on. We'll have a third perspective to mm-hmm. watch the episode with us. Yeah. Uh, we did briefly mention this in the first episode. Yeah. But um, Aaron and I, I think for the most part, are going to be here pretty consistently. But I think we're going to have like a rotating panel of guest hosts. Some people we might bring on multiple times as we're talking about stuff. Maybe even find some people that have never seen the show before and having them... If yeah. They want to talk about Star Trek, their first experience with Star Trek, you know. Yeah. We, we think we're going to get a mixture of people who longtime fans, people in the middle, more casual, and then people who maybe have seen a couple things, and then people who've seen nothing. Yeah. Nothing. But for now, just our other nerdy friends. Yeah. Also very much enjoy Star Trek as we do. Yeah. Hopefully, you'll enjoy our panel. Um, a bunch of our friends, we've all lived together a few times, countless hours watching all Star Trek together, so we have lots of stories our own Star Trek stories watching all this stuff <laughs> together just devolve into acting out entire scenes with each other oh boy yeah maybe who knows maybe even a good screaming match between some of us and how we feel about certain episodes who knows who knows maybe for ratings we'll um go maybe Maury Povich which it, for content we'll have a, a Star Trek debate <laughs> <laughs> who knows maybe we'll bring some of the fandom menace on maybe we'll bring some of the woke left on oh god oh, oh no and maybe there might be um, free cars underneath all your seats in the future. Free cars. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the meantime, if you're listening with us in these early days, thank you so much. I'm sure we are still, this is a, we're very much a work in progress. Um, we do want to keep improving the yeah. show, so please send us your comments. Oh, all kinds of feedback. Um, technically, we're still figuring out the show. We're not working with a whole lot at the moment, but we just wanted to jump in and do it. Um, and we're going to uh, keep growing the show. Please send us your comments. Please let us know your Star Trek thoughts and stories. If they're good stories, we might like even share them. We might even share them. For the world. If we like what some of you have to say, we might bring you on. Who knows? Holy cow. But in the meantime, next week, one of our friends, our first guest host, and the man trap. <sighs> I'm something about it. I don't know if excited is the word. No, I'm not excited about it at all. I'm a little nervous. Yeah. I think I might be stage fright more than I might not show up I might have Aaron do it (laughs) solo Um, okay well until next week um, I'm Jaron I'm Aaron and um, we'll catch you next time on Star Trek stories for all of us except for the one of you for the one of you who please stop listening you know who you are we won't be reading any of your comments and we will be quickly banning you from the comment section blocked Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share your own Star Trek story or give us a hot take on the episode we just watched, you can join the conversation by visiting our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.